Hey everybody, it's Robert here. Each week we like to give a shout out and a thanks to our donors and our patrons on our Patreon site. If you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to patreon.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This week we'd like to give a shout out to two new members, Daniel Earp Jones and Danny Ernst. Danny recently won a raffle that we had given away an autograph book by Paul Martinez of When the Killer Man Comes, and that thing's in the mail. Danny, I hope you enjoy it. And of course, we have to give a big shout out to our largest donor, and that's Stephanie Lincoln of Fireteam Whiskey. You can also support the podcast by going out and rating us on any one of the podcast apps or by going to our Facebook page and giving us a rating there. Again, we appreciate all of our donors who have come out and showed your support on our Patreon site. It's through those donations and those contributions where we're able to keep the podcast going each week. And now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy another episode of Mentors for Military. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So you already know Paul, and now I'm assuming you guys met some time ago, but as I understand it, though, Vince, you were in 275, and of course I know that Paul was in 375, so I'm taking it that it wasn't during your Ranger days, it was sometime after that? Yeah, it's actually more towards me writing this book with, um, you know, getting getting partnered in with, with Nicholas Irving and, and asking him to help me figure out a book. Paul was one of the guys who helped me kind of get my crap together. Can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, bro, because I, if I speak like myself, the, every other word is going to be a fuck. So, um, but yeah, I, my, my writing, I've been writing for years of a bunch of crap and just kind of compiled it to, to, to even more crap of files. And Paul helped me kind of organize that and put it into make, make sense of it, I guess. <laughs> you yeah, talk about the book. Uh, there, yeah. You talk yeah. about the book, uh, Light the Fuse, right? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, we'll get into that uh, as well. So that's when you guys really hooked up and everything then is uh, yeah. during that time. Frame. See, I was wondering about that, knowing that you guys are both back guys, but, you know, 275, 375, totally different locations. So I figured mm-hmm. that it was either something that you guys did together on a deployment or in, you know, something later no, in life. I, I think we were also, Paul, give me, if I'm, if I'm correct, you were in at 2007, right? Uh, yeah, I was. And then, but you got out when? Uh, 2000, December, 2014. Right. So I, I was getting out when he was getting in. Oh, yeah. okay. Gotcha. And so I, I'm in the older era, you know, my knees are still hurting and all that from that time. <laughs> <laughs> all of ours are, what are you saying, man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back a little bit of your career because when you came in, you started off in two, seven, five, like we were talking about, I guess you came in under a option 40 contract or did you, uh, yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And before. Back then, I don't think it was called Option Forty. It was yeah. just like an, a Ranger contract, RGR on the RGD. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's what I have. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Eleven X-ray. Um, I had no idea what the hell I was getting into. I honestly, uh, I was, I was an, a college athlete. I've always been an athlete, and so I just like, it was the hardest thing you guys got? I'd like to try that out. Um, I joined because my daughter, you know, she she was just a, she was turning about six months at the time, and I had nothing for her but just terrible college stories, and so I, I needed something that was more sustainable to be able to pay for freaking freaking uh baby food it was crazy um and so i joined the military you know um i got in there and i kind of learned about what i was going to go through the process through the other guys in my in my uh, platoon 
like there's a guy there that his buddy was a ranger and he explained me the process so i was oh, like nice fuck i gotta do what like <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't i had no idea there's like rip i didn't know that was happening i just thought like no joke you go through base you go to airborne and then boom they just you're in ranger battalion i'm like oh this is sweet <laughs> yeah. and then they start they start telling me and i'm like well shit man the hardest thing for me I've ever done was like freaking hell week in football. So I'm thinking like, I really didn't know if I was going to say I quit. You know what I mean? So every right. day I'm like, just don't do it, bro. Like your kid's <laughs> counting on you. Your dad's going to laugh at you. Just don't do it. You know? And so somehow I, I still, I still use that same method to keep me freaking going every day. <laughs> After that, you end up spending some time four years, I guess, total there uh, within two, seven, five and I guess you got selected in a two seven five right of rip. Yeah, so in rip there was a there was a line. I actually wanted one seven five. I think a lot of guys want to kind of live that Savannah Beach Ranger lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, and so I jumped in that line, and they kicked me out right away. And I was like, please, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, please, God, do not put me at Benning. Like that's the last thing I ever wanted. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get uh, Fort Lewis, so it was cool. Yeah, Benning's a great assignment. Why didn't you want to just because you already went through all your OSIP oh, and Airborne? Yeah, you sit there training there, and you just kind of hate yeah. the place, right? Yeah. You go, go those... hang out at Alhu's. Dude, dude <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I got I got in a couple fights already in Columbus, so it just wasn't good for me there, man. Hanging out on VD Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. VD Drive. You, you know, my family was uh, – I'm, I'm a West Coast kid, you know, so uh, if I wasn't going to be at the beach in Savannah, which sounded really fucking cool, I wanted to be closer to my family. And so it was, it was – I was lucky enough to be able to get it. Yeah, they gave me Fort Benning – and I almost cried. It's the only time I almost cried the whole time in Rip. Really? I'm not joking. <laughs> like tears were in my eyes. I had, it, it was a moment for right. when they said I was going to betting. So they they told us they said, "All right, if you want to go to Second Battalion, when I say go, go form a formation over here." And they pointed in direction. They said go, and I ran, and I was probably the third dude in the first rank. And then the fourth dude in, in the rank was a college wrestler. And then you got me. I'm one of the bigger guys in, in, in there at the time. Some kid tried to cut in between us. And we fucking both just instinctually, like, fuck you, dog. You don't cut rank like that, right? <laughs> Shove this fucking dude. He flew onto the floor, tumbled. He dropped his rifle. And the fucking cadger was like, oh, fuck no. You're going to third bat. And sent his ass to third bat. And they, when everyone was the same, we were like, don't go to the third bat. It's fucking awesome. Buddy's only half the word. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bro. I, I just need to make sure I got mine. No one is more important than I. <laughs> it's a stressful moment for me, dude. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. So you end up spending, uh, what, three deployments there, two in Afghanistan and one in Iraq, and then you got out and end up joining the Army Reserves. Now, did you initially go into a drill sergeant unit, or how did you end up becoming a drill sergeant? Yeah, it was a drill sergeant unit. but Okay. You know, it's funny. Most people don't know my original steps were I went into the Air Force. I got approved for my, my tattoos to get into the Air Force because I was trying to go into a PJ. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I signed the contract, what I thought was a PJ. And remember, I, I wasn't very good at reading. And, and, and so I, I did this all on my own. And, and <laughs> this I, is the I, guy I get, wrote a book, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trust me. That's why Where's Paul helped me. Because I didn't see any. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> um. And so I find out it was actually just a flight medic. And I told him, I was like, hell no, dude. Like, I want the contract that sends me to the PJ pipeline. Like, right now, uh, they said they couldn't get it to me. So they actually, since it was a breach of contract from the original, they pushed me out. They said, don't worry about it. It's done. So I walked away from that contract, and I jumped back into the, re into the reserves as a drill in the drill sergeant unit. Uh, and then in 2008, I believe, is when I ended up going to, uh, to, to drill sergeant school. 
Oh, so, okay, so I was a little confused here. So you went Ranger, then wanted to go PJ in the Air Force. Yeah, man, I really did. The medical field has always been interesting for me. My father was, you know, he, he's an L.A. City firefighter, and he's been pushing EMT on me for a long time. Yeah. I actually did EMT school before I joined the Army, uh, and so I had a little bit of experience with it. Um, my time in battalion, uh, especially like in Afghanistan, was when I wasn't doing a mission, the days where you kind of were off on reset, yeah. I was at working in, in the in the in the hospital, just anyone that comes in, start doing, uh, you know, any kind of medical services that I could provide to them. And so just because of that, I've always been, had this, you know, attraction to the medical field. And so I thought like, screw it, man. I saw what the PGs did in my deployments. They, they, they had, they had a good life, but they also got called in at the worst time. And for me, I've always wanted to be a part of that. Uh, I could have probably fought and got back in, but I kept getting more tattoos and the air force was just by that point was, wasn't going to approve me anymore. And so, you know, the army reserves, uh, welcomes me with open arms as a drill sergeant. <laughs> so did you, uh, go to Benning to go through drill sergeant school or would you end up going to drill sergeant school? Uh, I went to, uh, Fort Knox. It okay. was the last active course at Fort Knox that they held. Uh, it was somewhere around three months or something like that. I can't remember, but it was pretty much you're, you're an E six and they're treating you like a private, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's fun. It's cool. It's It's got a lot of history behind it, and I was glad I had the opportunity to do it. So where do you end up doing a lot of your uh, two weeks or annual uh, stuff? Uh, Arizona has been most of the time, but I also go out there. I've been activated to um, Fort Sill. I got activated okay. in 2010 to 2011. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting time for me. Me being an infantry guy, I always wanted to go to Benning, but um, because yeah. I was also a West Coast reserve drill sergeant, they keep you on the West, West more of the West Coast. And so I got, I, I'm, if I ever go back again, it's always going to get pinned to Fort Sill for me. Yeah. I was, my stepson graduated from uh, Fort Sill in uh, early 2017. No and I was way. like, holy crap, man. This thing is, this place is cold as balls. Bro, it, it was sucks. bad. We got, we, I got frozen a few times, man. You're stuck there with the privates and you're trying yeah. to make sure they don't die. You're like, this sucks. The only place I've had that was worse was when I was up at Laramie working, man. Negative 20 and negative 40 degree temps, uh, not fun. You're a reserve drill sergeant now still, though. Yeah, I am. I am. Okay. I'm currently, I'm at, I'm at, what, 15 years or so. We're working on, on figuring that out because my schedule, you know, my lifestyle now, it's been really hard for me to kind of have good years, if you know what I'm saying. When I say good oh, years yeah. in the Army Reserves, you have to stack so many drills for you to consider a good year. And when you have good years, those go towards retirement. Um, and I've had two bad years, man. And me working my ass off trying to get to drill as much as possible, still pulling up bad years, which is wasted years for me. Um, and so I've, I've thought about walking away. Um, at the same time, I still love the military and what I do in the military. I would love to create advance, but I think the Army Reserve, it's, I'm kind of at a standstill. So um, I've been talking to the National Guard recruiting here in, in Salt Lake City in Utah and uh, we have some options for me. So if the Army Reserves is willing to release me, uh, I'll be able to just continue my career here as, as a National Guard in Utah. Yeah, you're so close. So close to retirement. Right, right man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so close and I, I still love it. You know, I still love what I do. Yeah. So when you got off active duty, you've had so many different wild things. So I want to talk about some of these. First off, I understand you were a prison guard. Yeah. You got Border Patrol, uh, a children's book author. So we're going to dive into some of these other different things, but okay. Which came first? Was it the prison guard or the border patrol? That, uh, no. That all of a sudden you wouldn't. Yeah. The first job I had was like selling medical supplies. And then 30 days later I got hired at the prison. So I was like, thank God. 
<laughs> um, yeah, so I, I used to sell super still siding to mobile homes, so I know what the hell you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know, Jeez, man, was, that sucked. I applied for. I think it was like <laughs> I think I did like 17 different jobs, and like the first one right away was Sintas, and they're just a medical supply company. And so I was blessed to be able to have a paycheck coming in. You know what I mean? And, and luckily, within 30 days, I got another email saying we'd love to hire you at a private prison, which is super badass because you don't even go to a, an academy, which I would have loved to. But it was just like right away you're getting paid. I was like, yep, I'm in. Uh, the private prison is an interesting beast because you get paid well, but you also don't have the, I guess, the benefits when, you, when it comes to uh, retirement and stuff like that. There's no pension really there. There's a 401k option. But um, it really is like let me pay you more up front now for you to deal with the madness, you know? <laughs> yeah, you better Absolutely. save because we're not going to save for you. Right, and I'm like the youngest dude there, man. There's like – 20 people in the classroom and half those dudes are retired uh, department of corrections retired. And then they go jump over to, to a private prison. And these yep. dudes don't want to do nothing, but enjoy their retirement and collect another check. Yep. And so you, and then you got me, this fucking just got back from Afghanistan, just fucking hates the world, ready to fuck up every <laughs> inmate that talks shit to me. You know what I mean? and, and I'm like, well, let's do this. Let's start fucking people up, you know? And so um, it took a little adjustment for me, man. What's a, what's a private prison anyway, for those so, of us who don't, yeah, so what happens is since the prisons are kind of overran these days in California is really what's kind of started the idea of it. Um, there's private companies that pay for housing their inmates cheaper than what California can afford. But that's not the only yeah, thing. Wow. Every state that has this issue is doing this. So they're shipping their, their inmates out to another state. They're giving these inmates leniency on their case, whether it's a year off or two years off, whatever the case, to kind of move them. And then now they're doing a California contract in Arizona, but Arizona uh, is allowing this private prison to charge less uh, per day per inmate. So if you think about it, an inmate probably costs around in California. I'm going to throw a wild ass number, but it's probably around 15 to 19 dollars a day. Um, the private prisons could probably do the same thing for 12 dollars a day. So, of course, it costs it's, it's a lot cheaper for California itself to provide to, to ship that service off to Arizona. And so that's where these private prisons have kind of taken over. It's 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 almost wrong in a way because capitalism at its finest. But at the same time, you have like the liability in the room now is the worker, not the inmate. The inmate is the money. And so yeah. we're not protected as much as we should be when you start going to you know a county prison or a federal prison. You know, we were lucky. Or we had a union that would save our ass because no joke, there's a time where I got in trouble. Because you see me running out of the running out of a room with my hand across some dude's neck, and I'm and I'm and we're fighting inside the room. You can't see it. The camera's not going to show this, but he was just beating the hell out of his own roomie, his celly. And so I jumped in there to try and stop it. The dude turns on me. I kind of did like a shift, so I twist shifted. So now I'm behind him, running him out with my hand on his throat, and they catch me on camera. Like I'm choking the dude to death. I'm like, no, dude. Like I'm just trying to survive. You know. What I mean? And so, so then you have to go to court. You have to write a report and all this stuff, and it's pretty scary because you're like, man, when it comes down to it, the the company's gonna be like, look, man, you're gonna screw our money. Don't do that, right? And and I'm not saying they do uh, that. I'm just saying it feels like that. Oh sure, sure. I could totally see where it'd be like that. Well, yeah. not not to mention you're the dude with all the tats. So the, I mean, it's real easy to just kind of oh put yeah the tables on you. Oh yeah, and then I'll, I'll, you have PTSD and all. It's like no, dude, right. 
trying right. to get a paycheck, man. No, that's totally screwed up. But I was wondering about that. I, what was there a movie like many years ago where they actually uh, had some city? I think it was New York. I don't remember what it was. Where they built the walls and they threw everybody, all these prisoners, in there, and it was very similar to what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but these private prisons have grown so much in the past. 10 years i mean they're everywhere now they're everywhere what kind of criminals i mean are you talking <laughs> everything you know everything everything yes everything uh, you murder, have immigration everything. a lot of them are doing immigration because immigration kind of overran for a while you got your, right. your you got there's a company called geo that does a lot of like duis right people that are in there for duis so there's it's just depending on what it is and what the case is and whatever the contract signed i've had a u.s marshal contract at one time and so it's just an interesting world man that people probably don't hear much much about that's wild. <laughs> no, yeah. I've never even heard of this, so it just shows you how much I pay attention to the news, but especially when it, as it relates to this topic, you know. Well, that's why I, mean. I wrote in the book about a, a you know the, one of the most intimate moments in my life is getting into a fight with an inmate, and like, you know, you have a, a weapon overseas, you know, you have a knife. Uh, I mean, excuse me, you have a, you have your rifle, and you're able to freaking engage if you needed to. You should. You even have knives on you. You have all kinds of crap. In in the in the corrections facility, you have your bare hands and a radio. You know what I'm saying? And so you're sitting there like, I have to know shit, trust my own hands. Luckily, I was raised fighting, so I had the confidence in there. But, man, what a scary feeling when you know the other dude is in there for murder. And knowing what he's in there for murder, the kind of murder, very gruesome, very hands-on nasty. You're like, that changes things in your head. You're like, wait a minute, I'm not getting paid enough to get my ass kicked by this fucking asshole. Knowing that he has nothing to lose, he can murder me too, and nothing changes for his life, you know? Yeah. And, And it was, and it's. And they put me, obviously, the young dude, the guy who's in shape, the guy who's able to do it, to try and set up a team that's ready to get this guy. It was just a crazy mess. I drove home thinking, like, fuck this, dude. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I'd rather kick indoors in Afghanistan again. This was this was an uncomfortable feeling. A lot of things went wrong that day for why it went so bad. And now I know I started going to, you know, I became a special operations guy for the prison and I started helping teach their classes. And I started learning more about what could have, what we could have done to mitigate that. I mean, to me, I never knew anything about this type of story and you know, what you're describing there. I sure as hell wouldn't want to do it. How long did you end up doing that? For two years, man. As soon as I got in there, I applied for the Border Patrol. Like right away, I was like, nope, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but the Border Patrol took me two years to get into because, um, uh, so the original time I took the written test, I failed. And then after three months later, they revised their scoring and I passed. <laughs> they lowered the standard for me. Eventually, when I got the call to go, man, I, I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here. You know, they said, you're going to Texas. Like, I don't care. You can send me to Mexico itself. I'm in. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, dude, that's that's pretty much what happened. 2009, I went to the academy on June 6th, my son's birthday. That's another one of my bonehead moves. I didn't say, I didn't say, you know what, um, that, can we push it back a month? I said, nope, I'm in. Your son's going to be born on the first. I, I got to go. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, you, you just say yes to the mission all the time. And that's one of the ones I regret for sure, man. <laughs> man, with all this stuff that's going on now, uh, I don't know how bad it was at the time frame you were there. But, I mean, it seems like it's getting at a heightened moment or at least maybe with social media and everything else is becoming more heightened. But, uh, I mean – you know, when you look at the track of the caravan that came through and where they ended up heading, they could have came into Texas, and yet for some reason they by- bypassed that whole opportunity. Well, well you know? it's funny because, you know, working there for so many years, they know what the laws are in each border. And knowing what the laws are means that they know exactly where they can get away with it. Because you do that in Texas, and there's a portion of Texas, if you do that, you're going to prison no matter what. 
no matter what, because there's a law in place saying, fuck you, you cross the border once, you're going to prison, right? Yeah. What, whether you believe in that or not, it doesn't matter. That's just the law in that space, right? But if you do yeah. that, you do that in California, you do that in some of the borders of Arizona, they process you and they send you right back. And, yeah. and, and no issues, no, no, no. With, you can have three attempts at the border in one day if you wanted to when they drop you off and turn around trying to do it again. So it's funny because they seem to really understand what's going on. The, the information is definitely getting spread around, and they knew that's the place you needed to try and approach for the best opportunity of getting across. And if you don't get across, not getting penalized, but going over, go, going to prison of some sort, right? So there's no doubt in my mind that the terrorists and everybody else understand our laws just as well, if not better, yeah. than our, uh, our, yeah, our own yeah. citizens. So they're going to use those things because they know they have a right to due process. They right. know they have a right to an attorney. They know they don't have to say anything. They know it's going to take a period of time yeah. before they get, you know, yeah. But there's there's still that miscommunication where they think uh, you can just claim political asylum and we're going to say, okay – wrong there's still a full investigation by the immigration judge you still have to determine one are they even from that country because everybody can fake you're from a country that's having trouble right but then you start breaking that down you start looking for any kind of resources where we can really pull where they're born at and then from there you have to investigate the situation is your life really in danger if it is okay well then we're going to do what we do as americans we're going to accept that as political asylum and then boom you get you gain entry and go on through the process but everyone wants to assume that takes a day Bullshit. Yeah. We have to investigate this. And if you do break any kind of law with your kids, sorry, we have to separate that because it's this weird space, right? Like we have to try and do our best to do abide by the laws at the same time. Like, no, we don't want to separate families, but what's in place right now in the law, we were told to do that. And that was the hardest thing is watching, you know, I knew the job. I knew what we had to do. I seen what we had to do. Is it hard for a, a, a Hispanic man whose family, you know, whose grandparents, you know, came across illegally at one point? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's hard, man. But I also know, you know, I've lived my life to protect this country, whether it's overseas or domestic. And and now doing so, I just hope that everyone could get the information they need to understand how to do the process the right way. But our lack of educating Mexico hurts us. You know what I mean? Our lack of yeah. giving the information needed to understand the process hurts us because what happens is the other people giving the information is the cartels who are telling them, hey, give us money. We'll help you go this way. And what they're doing is throwing a decoy so they can get their drugs this way. And it's this sad process of we know people want to come to America for what reasons, right? We, we love what America can provide for us. The hard work and efforts will pay off here. But the problem is they're forgetting that there's this step that has to be done. It has to be done in the right manner because if you come here illegally and get arrested for a DUI, you're fucked. You're never going to be allowed to be a citizen again. It takes like 12 years or something like that because you broke a law illegally. And yeah. so they have way more efforts, I mean, way better opportunities by doing it right. But the lack of information that's out there for them, the lack of education that we don't provide for them is what's hurting us. You know, and it's sad. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to watch, you know. And, and the, the Board of Trade don't deserve all the all the ridicule because they're upholding the law, whatever law is provided by Congress, not us. We just showed up for a job to protect the country, and then they say this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, this is how we run it. Sounds good. It's as fair as it can be, man. You know what I mean? It's just like a law enforcement officer. Right. You know what I mean? Like me, if I was a cop right now and I had a pullover kid who had a joint in his hand, it would be this hard space of like, ah. You know, but then also, what's the law? Where, where, what's the city, state are you living in? And, and this is what I have to do, or else you'll get fucked if you don't do your own job. And so it's this crazy world we live in, in that people want to want to judge when they they don't even understand the process themselves. You know. 
Well, you bring up a valuable point too. Is uh, there is a TTP among like the cartel peeps that you know? <laughs> hey, we're going to use some drug mules, and <laughs> we're going and they basically abuse the you know turn it into propaganda against us that we're quote unquote separating families and so on and so forth. Oh, so yeah. people are armchair quarterbacking the information that's provided based on you know some pictures and. That's we the know. hardest thing, man. If, you know, just recently what happened down there in, in, in San Diego where, you know, they kind of try to bum rush the border and then you yep. have guys tear gassing. I felt like, you know, it's, it's is it hard to watch? Yes. And the pictures you get, are, is, is, that's all like, you know, like uh, you can see it however you, way you want it. Me as a father will never put my kids in harm's way. Me yeah. as a father, I, I, you know, and I can say that from this side. I can't say that from that side, understanding what their situation is. I'm just saying for me personally, um, if I'm driving, if, if I've been drinking and my kids are in the car, I don't, I, if I'm drinking and my kids are going to be with me, I don't drive, you know what I mean? Or I don't drink, right? I don't put my kids in harm's way. That's just yep. not me as a father. And I feel like those parents, uh, they did, they did, they didn't realize what could happen. Or for some reason they were naive enough to think that they could just come across and, and it's wrong because, the 30 dudes who are trying to hop the fence think of a border trade on the other side of the fence thinking, holy crap, shit's going down. I got to do my yeah. part. You know, yeah. I, I got to do my part. And what they did was they did less than lethal force, which is amazing, amazing that they did that. I think that's beautiful, and it's what it should have been done. Yeah. None of that stuff, if you understand OC and CS gas, that is not going to be harmful to anyone's health. If someone has asthma, it could be, it could be, we can take care of that. But CS gas, no, not with nah. the open air. They're going to get enough oxygen. They're going to survive. <laughs> it's just enough to piss someone off and be like, that sucked. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <sighs> it's not going to feel good for about 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah that's for sinuses. sure. Yeah. yeah. How, how long was it that you had spent out there in Texas as a border patrol, Vince? I started in 2009 and I left in 2015. Okay, so good long time then. Yeah, it was a good amount. You know, after after my year and a half to two years of you have to do your probation time, I jumped into the special operations. I tried out for, um, you know, I wanted to now be a good medic for my tactical guys, you know, and so I jumped into the Borsar team. Didn't know if I was going to make it again. There was definitely a point where I thought about quitting. Like, for sure, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm doing this. Fuck it. I'm doing it. Yep, I'm going to quit. I'm going to say it. I'm going to raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and then at, at one point, I, I didn't. I actually... I came to tears. I'm running on the beach right next to a bunch of buds, dudes, a bunch of seals getting jacked up. And I'm sitting here looking at them. I'm thinking, I'm not young anymore. My knee is killing me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think it's time to quit. I think it's time to go ahead. And, and I started thinking, and the cadre's like, just quit already. You're screwing everyone over. And I looked at the guys in front of me, and I felt really bad because I'm like, yeah, I'm screwing those guys real bad right now. But, um, you know, I, I, I thought about those things that, that keep me motivated and it's my kids and my father, you know, wanting to make my dad proud. And I guess always chasing that, 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 you know, that pat on the back from my father saying he's proud of me, which he always is. He's a solid dude, but I guess I've always been chasing that for, for just wanting to continue to be proud of me. Um, yeah. and, and that idea that my kids one day will see me walk across some stage and receive an award and see the smiles on their face to being proud of me as well. And those two things have kept me from quitting a million, million things in this life, even, even, even when, you know, times I was ready to give it all in, you know, that's the, those are the two visions in my head that I always have. And I told myself like, no, when the knee blows up and actually I need surgery, that's going to be the best excuse to quit. And so I waited and nothing never happened of it. And so I ended up fucking graduating. <laughs> 
Well, you've been adapting this whole time, though. I mean, you're, you've been doing what you need to do to take care of your family. I mean, that's the main thing, survivability. And at times out here, I think some guys just kind of give up. You know, they just feel like they can't adjust. Well, I don't understand. That's, that's, you know, what's funny is people say, how did you transition so well? I'm like, man, I can't say I, did, I transitioned well, but I was definitely forced to because of my kids. You know, I had to stay active. I had to stay in the fight for them. And, and my profound love for my own kids is always going to be enough motivation to keep me going, right? Like for some guys, it's not enough. I don't understand that. I can't, I, I don't, there's no relatability between me and them because for me, that's all I am. Like they are all I am and why I am. And so that's, there's never going to be a moment where, where even when I think about quitting, like I said, I'm always going to be like, nope, I have these kids that depend on me and I'm going to continue to do this, right? And so I've been fortunate enough to have my kids to keep me um, in check and in line. That scarcity mindset, man, that'll that'll do you in. And I mean, I remember when I think I, I virtually met you back in 2014 when you guys started doing like the Article 15 uh, videos and stuff. And you had produced uh, a small video. I think it was just through a YouTube thing, and then uh, on the Dragon Bros stuff was just basically finding your why, essentially, and realizing we still have a mission afterwards. It just changes and has to translate into something else. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think I've never I've never been the mindset of thinking all I am is military because I joined at 22, 23. I was all I was was baseball player. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of grew into finding my identity really early on in my life by traveling as a young kid playing baseball, being independently at six, 16 years old, traveling to freaking, you know, to to whatever state and playing ball somewhere by myself with another team. Knowing baseball was everything to me, my biggest transition, I always still believe, was leaving baseball going into the military because I didn't know if I was going to be good enough for that. I just knew I was good at baseball, and, and I can't tell you I've ever tried anything else to be as good at, you know? And so it was the newest, coolest thing for me, and, it, and, and military helped me transition over baseball, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then and then I realized easy, like, man, we're, we're anything we put our minds to in, in, in the honest statement is that's all we are. Like whatever we decide to choose next is what we're going to be good at. You know what I mean? We just have to choose it. Well, Eric and I have talked about this and we've talked about it sometimes on the podcast as well, that a lot of guys just can't seem to find that passion, that purpose, that why that you're talking about though. They just can't seem to uncover it. And some of it has to do with age. And of course, having kids and a family, that puts a, a lot of added pressure on you anyway well, to you, rush that through. Yeah, you, you stop know? having time to even figure out what your why is and you know what their why is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you stop allowing yourself to – you don't even have the time to focus on you because you need to focus on them. And that's a hard thing sometimes that you don't have your your own identity. It's just – now it's just dad paying bills and you feel worthless yeah. sometimes. You know, you just feel worthless. Then you get the dad bod and the whole thing. Oh, that's had that, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on mine. <laughs> working on yours. Yeah, I got that four-year bulk going. The, the flopperator. <laughs> At what point was it that you decided to start getting into the whole acting side of it? Because I know you uh, were on, you know, you started off with producing range and acting on range 15, but uh, was there some stuff that you did prior to that where you decided, okay, this is a field that I want to go into, or was it something in high school that you were a... Uh, you know, an actor or something at that time frame? Yeah, you know, it started obviously growing up in L.A., man. You're around actors all the time, and it's nothing. Yeah. It's not a big deal. You just know, oh, there he is. There's Mark Wahlberg. He bought hats from me at a Champs store one day, and I was like, cool. And, um, you know, like me having dyslexia and, and pretty pretty severe as a young kid, 
I went to an audition, you know, some of my buddies were like, let's go to an audition, man. I was like, let's do it. You know, I feel really good about this. They always tell me, my friends were always like, man, you're funny, dude. And man, you're really, you know, I'm like, yeah, dude, let's go for it. You know? And then they handed me a script, which I thought, never thought that would happen. I, I was going to be me, you know? And when they handed me a script to read, I couldn't get through the first sentence because just the anxiety alone, thinking like how stupid I'm going to sound right now, because I read everything backwards and fucked up and knowing I still don't, I didn't read very well at the time already because I've avoided reading for so many years. I fucking was, I goofed the first sentence and already was sweating. And I was like, I'm done. And I walked out of there and I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. My mom was like, how was it? I was like, oh, you know, it's not for me. I don't, you know, fuck acting. And then, you know, I ended up going playing college ball at, at Glendale community college and um, just trying to stay eligible. I had every elective class you can think of from weightlifting to theater. And uh, I started doing theater lessons there. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And, and that, and never thought it would come, come around. I've always enjoyed entertaining. I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed being in front of the crowd and, and wasn't embarrassed about it. But I never felt I could do it because I couldn't read. A little know? butterfly has made his wings. Dude, it was crazy. So, so <laughs> going awesome. into the military, I learned how to read. Um, I learned how to read a lot. And I started challenging myself to read like 10 books a year and then went to 15 books a year. And then, you know, I've pretty much stayed around there is what I try to do. Um, and then... When we started doing YouTube with Matt and them, I started really like, damn, this is really cool. This is something like I can dig, you know. Uh, I talked early on to JT about it. I said, hey, dude, we need to do a movie. Like, I, I'm like, we got to do a movie. And JT's like, yeah, man, I've always wanted to do one. I'm like, dude, like me too. And so this kind of created my own dream, you know, through Range 15. And that was just the small bug. I'm like, no, man. I don't want to just be this sideshow Rocco that people see. I want to be an actor where people are like, holy fuck, he's made me laugh. He's made me cry. He's made me think. You know what I mean? And if I can do that, like for me, it's powerful. It's powerful to show the, the chameleon ways of me that I, I can be anything I want to be as long as I really put my fucking mind to it. But not even that. It puts me in a space where I can be a storyteller for us, guys like me and you. I can eventually be the guy who produces the next – Saving Private Ryan, right? Like the next, whatever it is, even if it's Fight Club, like these stories that, you know, the movies that we watch overseas, the things that, you know, that have motivated us and inspired us, even Friends. I've watched every episode overseas. But to be able to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chandler. Yeah, bro. But it's like to be able to be the storyteller, but not even that. The guys overseas can sit there and be like, that guy was here one time, one time. Like that guy's been in my shoes and he knows exactly what I'm going through. And now, Full circle, I'm making them laugh and motivating them to continue on, you know? That seems to be your constant theme, though, because, I mean, even your children's books are around follow your dreams. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Like, I think we put up walls for ourselves and we doubt ourselves and we don't trust that we can be more than what we are. And the truth is, we put up our own walls, man. Like, like I, you know, my daughter said, why, why can't you be the president? I was like, uh, I don't think I have a degree. And I don't know. I actually, And then I, the other day I was like, well, shit, you never fucking know, man. If The Rock's going to be president, I'm coming right after his ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are walls that I put up for my own self. Like, I, I probably will never be, but why did I even say that? But you know what? It can be. I could be a congressman. I could be the sheriff. I could be I – there's a lot of things I could be, but I, I never thought that far ahead. I put up a wall for myself, and, and, and I'm, I've stopped doing that. You know, like, you know, there's always something I have to chase. And in acting, I would love to win an award for acting. I, I don't – when will that be? I don't know, but – 
once I'm given the opportunity, I'm going to show the world that I can fucking act. You know, I'm not just a, a YouTube gimmick, right? I'm not a skit. I'm not this fucking monkey dance for me so you can sell shirts. No, I'm going to show you the depth of what I can do because everything I've ever done, I've tried to be the best at, whether it's been Rangers, whether it's been freaking the prison system, whether it's been Border Patrol, whether it's been a father, right? Like, I just try and be great. And, and why? I don't fucking know. It's annoying. I always fucking push myself to do shit like that. But it's just who I am. You know what I mean? And, uh, well, yeah. And if you try to change that, that's the whole time frame when you won't get an award anyway, because you're not being genuine. You're not being yourself. And that comes across on the screen. It comes across in everything you do. When you're vulnerable and you let your guard down, people recognize that. Right. You know? And I've always, I've always been willing to do that. You know, I've always been willing to, to show the sides of me that most people are not willing to do. I think uh, everyone has to have their own versions of whatever morals and values you live by. You know what I mean? And I was brought up in a Catholic home and, I didn't agree with that at first. I struggled with my with my faith and religion, and eventually I kind of found my own way with what I believe in, and and I guess my moral compass, and, and and it continues to guide me. I'm not a guy that pushes my faith or promotes it um, openly because I feel that I don't need to. I think people can always question where my where my roots come from, and they'll always understand where it is. You know, like. I am the way I am because I'm just trying to raise good kids to to be, um, you know, to be active and in, in, in pursuing good things in this world. Always being a protector. Like I always tell my kids, like we're always going to protect others who can't protect themselves, and we're always going to be good, and we're gonna, we're not going to be selfish. Like this, like you, you got to live for something. And for me, I'm always going to be I'm living to serve other people always, you know. And I, I try and teach my kids the same. That's why they all know how to fight. Because we're always going to protect people that are weaker than us. That's just who we are as a family. And and I believe that will carry them a long ways to always give back and always serve others. You know what I mean? Like provide their service to others because whatever they can, I think is important. You know, and, and so, you know, uh, it's funny. The faith question comes up a lot with my kids that are older now because they ask all the questions. Like they don't understand it. I'm like, neither did I, man. But I'm going to tell you here's what I believe. And I'm not going to say that's what you need to believe. I'm going to say you need to go ask your questions and find them find your answers and 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 i believe in that i don't want to ever persuade them uh to, to, to be what i want them to be i want them to be who they want to be but in in understanding as long as they're being a good person you know whatever direction they go in life it, it is what it is humility is one of those things though that's uh you know i think it's harder to learn or harder to understand i mean like you know we were talking about earlier you've just stayed grounded you're you're real and of course somebody in hollywood especially you've seen a lot of people there that over time you end up living a life like a part you know mm -hmm. you know like a role and yeah, yeah, so yeah, pe no, people you. lose their moral compass like you're talking about they lose who they really are they don't know anymore yeah. you know well you know it's funny is social media has been able to give people that same sense yeah social media provides this fame to people that one don't need it right because right. they don't know how to control it but, I mean, there's people out there that have done the same, that have embarrassed themselves, or maybe they didn't think so, but, you know what I mean, for me, um, anything I've ever done in comedy is, is that comedy, you know, and then I've always been able to be real and grounded and say, well, this is who I really am. You know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm, 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 I'm a fighter, I'm whatever the case, but, you know, people tend to lose themselves on what's going to generate more likes, you know what I mean, let me see how I can stir the pot more so people can follow me more, and that to me is short term, right, that, that's not that's not a long term plan, and it's it's an emotional roller coaster, right, you have spikes in your following and then it dumps because people don't give a fuck until you say something stupid again. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to be a gimmick or an act, right? Like I don't want to be that monkey dancing for likes. It's just not who 
I am. And, and maybe because I know how this world is, man, like you could be on top one minute and get shit on the next. Like the world is, is unforgiving and, and, and the human bodies are built weak. And I'm always afraid that, um, I don't want to tarnish what my legacy is, you know, for my kids sake, you know what I mean? Um, I get nervous every day riding a motorcycle or, or in my car or just my heart, you know, cause I've had some struggles, some heart conditions and I get, I get nervous every day that, you know, I don't feel like I'm ready to go because I have so much more I want to provide for my family. But at the same time, I also know it ain't my damn choice, man. So yeah. I try and, I try and <laughs> live in this manner where it's like, be ready, dude, be ready, man. And if I am ready, it's, I want to be happy with what I've left behind. You know what I mean? And so I need to try and create, you know, I, I tell my mom, my, my wife that like, if I'm not creating something, I feel like I'm starting to become depressed because I need to continue to create something, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's uh, creating something for the household. You know what I mean? Like anything, I have to be actively doing more because I just want to continue to grow as a person. You know, I, I don't know where humility comes from in my household, honestly. Like maybe it's my dad who 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 didn't like cocky people. You know what I mean? Doesn't like cocky attitudes, and maybe like I've been raised to like not. They try not to be cocky, even though there's times when you want to be cocky as all hell. I try my best to be humble because I know there's my dad's always somebody so better. <laughs> well, dude, you know if you if you're raised in the fighting world, you know that, right? If you're nope. raised <laughs> in a sure. fight fight culture, you know there's someone that swings a harder hook, right? And and you get you get humbled early on in life by losing these these fights. Where, I, dude, my whole life I can tell you, I. I when you can look at someone and think you can whoop their ass and they beat the hell out of you, or you look at someone and think they're going to beat your ass and you beat the hell out of them. It's this funny thing that teaches you like, man, you just never know. And you should always just be a good dude. Right. I, I think the world is super yep. rude nowadays because, because you can talk shit through the internet and, and you know why that's become so popular because you don't get punched in the fucking face anymore. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're life, yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, I think a punch in the nose is the biggest, you know, biggest humbler in the world <laughs> we talked about yeah. even on the uh last couple of shows about how people get dopamine from all the likes and then of course it starts bringing down your serotonin and we talked about the physical aspects of you know facebook and uh twitter and and all those types of things and like you said you can even get hyped up by those individuals who are keyboard warriors that can put whatever image out there uh and, you know a photo or whatever the case may be or none whatsoever and then go on to other people's pages pages and just troll that's all they do and some of these guys yeah. don't even follow your page they just want to troll that's, yeah that's and their it, whole life you know you know this new show we're doing with history channel uh, you don't mind i talk about yeah it no let's all. talk about that that's a you know good. it's just crazy and it's a good segue to this but it's exactly as this is that you know there's people that are talking shit people that are in the gun world talking shit and it's funny to me because like you're going to eat your own kind it makes no sense we do it a lot there's, in the veteran community yeah. you know that no, Vance. yeah we do no we yeah. do and and that's why I've actually made it upon myself to like, here's my number, call me, let's talk. Because once you were able to 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 break that freaking that internet freaking barrier and be like, holy shit, this is a real dude, and he's telling me to call him, they changed really fast. Because you know what? I'm an articulate motherfucker and I could tell you how I feel about the situation. And right away they're like, Holy crap, this dude just called me. Like, yeah, man, because we all you know, the the pro Second Amendment movement or whatever it is, the whole pro Second Amendment idea, um, we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot per se sometimes because 
you have the angry jargon and memes and all this silliness that you're not finding anyone in our space that is really articulating themselves and their argument on why and what, you know, and there is guys, but they don't have the voice that they need. Right. And then right. the ones that have the voice don't need it, you know? And, right. and so they're it's just, alienating us. Right. And so you, you know, one bad apple makes us all look bad sometimes. And so right now what I have done, what me and Eli have been able to create is we in the most sensitive time right now in America have a show around weapons yeah. Like that's a win. Yeah. That's a win yep. if there ever is a win. And so if anyone in the gun community is going to be against that, it's like, hey, who else is doing this? No one. Right now we have 1.2 million viewers a night on the show. 1.2 million viewers on the show. Now, I, I, can, I can say there's a few, there's a few pro-gun worlds out there that are doing those numbers in social media. But what we're hitting is the people that you would never hit in the gun community that are now sitting there thinking – I want to watch these guys blow something up. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, want to, I want to watch these guys build something really cool. And then they're going to raise the question. Hey, man, guns aren't so scary. Let's go, let's go check it out. Let's go learn how to use them the right way. Because at no point are we – no point, like any, whether you can pick it up on TV or not, are we reckless. At no point. Man, my years of being in the range of town, my years of being a drill sergeant, nothing is more important than safety mitigation. And so I am the guy on the, I'm the, guy on the course saying – uh, no one. Here's my safeties. I want you back here. You back here. Everyone have eye pro. Everyone have ear pro. I'm going to be the one pulling the trigger on this because if I die, it's okay, right? But if someone else dies, it's not, you know. And so, understanding that people are never going to get that deep into the show, right? Because they're not they're not going to ask the question. They're going to be like, oh my god, a cannon doesn't blow up cars that way. It's like, no, they don't. But also, it's really boring to watch a cannon go through a car and nothing happen. It's anticlimactic. <laughs> So true. <laughs> yeah, like we don't watch, you know, we don't watch these <clears throat> these Marvel films and 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 you know get mad because the CGI is so great. It's oh, fun. every time, oh. They, come on, every time there's a gas leak in a car, bitch, you know this. Every time there's a gas leak, you know instantly they're running so the car Girl. blows up, right? Girl, and that's the crazy thing to me. It's like, look, this is an entertaining show. This is entertainment. Um, you will be stunned to see what guns actually do. It's not as traumatic as you want to think it is, right? It's just right. not. And so we have to really, we have to like, I have to tell people like, look, it's entertainment, man. Trust me, if you want to sit there and watch it with your kids, you can, because it's that kind of show. But yes, we put Tannerite and gasoline in everything we blow because that's what makes it fun, right? <laughs> that's what makes it entertaining. And now you have a wife, a daughter, and a father sitting there together, having a conversation, sitting there watching a show, I'm like, Dad, does that really happen? Like, no, no, no. That's for entertainment. They're putting gasoline in it because he knows, right? And the wife's like, well, that was a really fun show, man. They were really funny. And the daughter's like, did you see his daughter? She's wearing too much makeup. You know, and it's this, <laughs> you, know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's this world that no one has been able to touch in our recent years, right? Because there's a lot of negativity towards the conversation. And what we've been able to do is like, well, now the conversation is a little easier to have because you have a show on mainstream television. Like it's to me, it's the biggest win in, in, a, in a step in the right direction if you see it that way. But if yeah. you see it as like, holy crap, this is bull crap. Some guy said I was very unprofessional with guns because we're laughing and joking. I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you ever been to a range with a bunch of rangers? Yeah. <laughs> we are the safest dudes there, but we're having a blast because yeah. it's Fun and you're with your boys, and we all know what the the safeties are. We all understand how to handle these. We understand the, the seriousness of it, but at the same time, we are so well trained that I'm still comfortable in that space. 
you know? And so, what I mean, it's about is we have a respect for it, and that's why we are able to be comfortable when we're dealing with that stuff. And that's why we can joke or whatever. Yeah, dude, I had a flamethrower in my hands. I, I was telling the camera, like, no, you're too close. Get away. You're going to feel that, and it's not going to be good. Yep. It's back there. Everyone behind me stand back, and I'm like, if I get burned, it's all good. I'm going to kick it off me. I'm going to roll. You guys hit me with a fire. You know what I mean? Like, there's safety mitigation in everything you do when it comes to training, when it comes to firearms, when it comes to fighting, everything. And so if people, for some reason, can't sit back and just enjoy the entertainment of the show, it drives me nuts because I'm like, please – Sit there and just watch it, and, and I swear you're going to laugh at the dumb shit we say and the fun of the show. And yes, there's some stuff that is contrived for television because we have to tell the story. But 90% of the time, it is what we're trying to really do is film this, let us go. You know what I mean? And and understand network, they, they have to answer to someone as well. And so we're playing this game of here's the show that I want to create. Here's the show that I'm allowed to create. Here's the show that's going to go on air. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so – there's this – it's a game, man. And, and like I said, there's no one right now in our space that has been able to get a show about weapons and military artifacts and guns on until now. And I'm still getting shit on by my own people. I Crazy. just want to get on there and do some impro classes and hang out with you and Eli, man. <laughs> Dude, it's, I've told them, like, let me teach a medical class. And they're like, ah, no one's interested. I'm like, I get it. I get it because the world wants to see whatever, right, entertainment. But – um. You know, me and Eli are thinking about putting some YouTube videos at least together in caveat of the show to show some deeper training, to show like there is years of experience in this and we're not just a bunch of knuckleheads. Yeah. But, you know, but it's we have to have a season two for that to happen. You know what I mean? And if we don't have a season two, well, then, you know, the opportunity gets cut short and it is what it is. And on the plan, C, D, E, F, G, man. I watched when all these guys came watching, walking out and, uh, you, you know, they were Vietnam veterans and, you know, all these all these guys who had different deployments and you had them each go around and say their name and their their background and everything. That was really it was almost a bit emotional in a way. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean, I, mean, at least I, got, I felt I that got, way, you know? Yeah, I got, the, I got the chills and the tingles in me just listening to their, their experiences. You know what I mean? I, I try to, to get every military veteran of some era possible. I got a female in there. I got, you know, I got a Desert Storm. I got a few messages from some guys like, thank you. Thank you for getting a Desert Storm guy because yeah. sometimes we get forgotten, right? Yep. I, I, I wish we had more Navy guys because I got a couple. And it's hard, man. It's it, understand like these guys all came and volunteered their time to hang out with us for the day and it was beautiful we were able to feed them lunch get breakfast all this stuff but but you know i trust me i wish i can have a thousand veterans just hanging out and let's just talk and being able to get out of the house and do something other than the same thing right and so for me it was a special day and you know and 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 being able to share that with a medal of honor recipient is always a special day you know what i mean like to understand I mean, a lot of guys have had some some crazy missions, but like knowing Clint's story so much, it, it's just a profound mission to me in reading the book that it was just an honor to have that day. And, and we want to have more like that. Again, like I said, we just can't do it without a season two. You know what I mean? You give me a season two and I'm going to have a lot more control and power to continue to do things like that. I want to do it for law enforcement. I think law enforcement gets a gets a gets a bad rap. I think law enforcement is the hardest job in the world right now. In, in the United States of America, to me, that is the hardest job in the world because of all the scrutiny that's behind it. And it's yeah. tough, man. And being a law enforcement officer, I understand and I feel for them because there's there's two parts to that, right? There is there a lot of a, a lot of you know um, law law enforcement brutality. Uh, I see that there is happening. Some just, some not. Some people never understand that job and the positions they're put in. 
So, you know, I want to do my part. And if I have a platform to speak, if I have a platform for people to watch, I want to show that I, I support law enforcement and I, and I support the veterans, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I got to stay true to who I am, man. And that's, that's the biggest thing is, is I'm just continuing to, to be me, whether lights, camera, action or not. You know what I mean? If yeah. I had one follower, I had fucking 2000. But with the microscope, uh, microscope and the lens right now being on border patrol and you having the number of years you did of experience in that, it would even be helpful, I think, to shed some light in that direction, you know? Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I, I, you know, I got approached to do a TV show to talk about that, but I couldn't and I wanted to. Um, you know, I would love to be, you know, I've, I've even hit up the border patrol. I said, use me use me like bring your camera guys here and let's do it. Let's do a piece. Let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Let's, I can do it in the most respectful manner and I can get it out there to more people than, 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 than they can because right now no one wants to see what they have to say, but there's people that are willing to hear what I have to say, you know? And I know I'm going to get shit on for it too, but I don't give a fuck, man. This is me, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't yeah. give a shit. You know, like, this is what I know. This is what I've lived and I'm going to tell you how it is. There's people that messaged me before when I, I gave them the – they were asking about, is it true they're separating kids? I'm like, yes. Like, and I explained to them why. Well, here's why. And then people were like, oh, man, I never thought of it that way. Oh, man, I, I wish the, 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 the media didn't turn it around to make it look so bad. I'm like, no, it's not so bad. You know what I mean? But it's the truth, and it's a law that's been in place since Obama. And people don't want to hear this truth. Like, nope, there's truth to that, man. And, 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 you know, if you have someone like he was in my position, who's built a platform to be a voice, like allow me to use that in the right way, you know, and, and I've been hitting them up now. I'm still, I'm still in communication with them and trying to do something for the border patrol myself. Yeah. Think about how many times though we get the soundbite information. That's social media, right? That's everything that we're engaged in today. And it's unfortunate that people have not taken the time to really educate themselves like they used to in the past, you know, to try to, if they were really passionate about it, felt something strong about it, rather than going to Hollywood or acting uh, at, you know, I know you're in Hollywood now or you're in the acting business, but, uh, but rather than going to those outlets to try to get the answers to the questions, why not yeah. look in the right locations and try to get that's the information? A, it's available. That's a there. hard one. Yeah, that's the hardest one is people are taking one argument and, and taking it as facts. And instead, why not get three different arguments, four different arguments, and then come to your own conclusion? That's healthy. How you feel about it. I mean, right, that's think the about right us. Way as, of doing that. Yeah, think about when we were leaders, or as leaders, we do it all the time. We'd rather surround ourselves with people that don't yes sir us or yes ma'am us all the time. We want people who sit at the table that are going to give us differing opinions and maybe even argue for a period of time with each other because that's how, that's healthy. Right. But nobody I, wants to sit around the table and communicate like that anymore. You know, it's what it is. They take the, you know, it's, it's hard, man, when you have our biggest influencers in this world are not necessarily you're educated. It's not necessarily you're high educated. It's not your doctors. It's not your, you know what I mean? What it is, is your entertainers, your rappers, your, your, your models that have the biggest following becomes your biggest influencers. And those, those influencers are not educated enough to speak on some of these topics that they speak on. But the world is filled with impressionable teenagers who believe everything they say is gold. And that is the hardest thing. Like you can't combat that. Like my 126,000 followers cannot combat 12 million people. You know what I mean? I, I can't, I'm trying like all fucking hell, but my influence is so small compared to their influence and their influence. They're using it as if it's facts and, and kids aren't for some reason, they're naive to think that these people are ever, whatever lied to them. The truth is like we have to stop thinking like all these influencers are, the, you know, or, or have anything intelligent to say. Like I love some of these musicians. I love them and everything. But when they start telling me about their political beliefs, like, cool, I don't give a shit. 
because I have my belief, you know what I mean? And I've researched my belief and this is why it's mine. And I'm also raised this way. I'm also I had this kind of life and all these things, why I come to my conclusion. So when they start using their, their position to be a political ranter or whatever it is, it, it, it's, it's hard for us to compete because they have 20 million followers, you know what I mean? And so it makes it a really, it's, it's a, it's a hard place to be in. You know what I mean? I, I wish I had a hundred million followers so I can be a, maybe the voice of reason in between a bunch of other people who say fucking far left, far right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but, but I don't, you know what I mean? And, but you know, I'll continue to try and influence in the most positive manner in my small following while the rest of the world is being influenced in these weird ass fucking ways, man. It's crazy. I think it's more of where we put the weight on who the influencer is. And I think that's, you know, how do we provide that value or how do we put that weight on that individual? I think what you're talking about is trying to influence in a positive way. And everybody could say, well, what I'm trying to do is all positive. positive. Right. (laughs) Uh, Well, the truth of the matter is that, you know, you've got to be smart enough individually and confident in your own confident in your own belief your own uh, upbringing and everything else and the things that rooted you and take that information take what you're trying to say decipher it see where it fits and where it doesn't make your own damn opinion don't yeah. allow somebody else and i know you were saying influencing but there's a style of influencing i think what you're describing is trying to educate them to go get more educated and influencing yeah. that way is different than just saying believe that way i want you to believe that's a that's different like, influence. Like, like yeah. Sam, I tell my kids that. Like, look, don't believe me. Go, yeah. go research that. Go Google it. Like, I'm going to tell you, here's how I feel. Here's what I think. Well, go figure out your own answers, man. Like, don't, right. take no one, don't even take a teacher's answer as gold. Research that and come to your own conclusion how you feel about that. Like, I, you just have to. And if you don't do that, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short and your, your arguments become freaking irrelevant because it's based off of someone else's dumb jargon that's not true. So we've uh, stopped and banned uh, Baby It's Cold Outside, a 74-year-old song or whatever it is, but yet on the radio every day, what are we listening to? So, I mean, this world is just all of a sudden turning upside down. And it's, again, because of people who you put weight on that they can influence you or tell you what you should listen to or what you should say or whatever the case may be. And what you should wear. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You, you've got to build your own opinions and stuff. And I think this still goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the veteran community when they're coming off active duty and making that transition. They got to find who they are. They got to go back to finding out who Vince, Robert, Eric, Paul is. When they joined the military, they, they were a person. When they went in the military, they were the same person. As they're getting out, they're still the same person. You know, mm-hmm. find that thing that's grounding you. And like you said, you it sounds like you've, you know, and it seems like you've remained pretty constant throughout your whole career. You're I very mean, confident it, in your own skin, I guess, is what yeah, I'm trying to say. It, you know? It's just I'm willing to try it all and fuck it all up and try it again. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and, and like you. That's you, life. I, I, yeah, I posted like probably like six months ago, like every job I've had since getting out of the military. You know, it's like 20 something different jobs, you know, and and why? Well, because I needed to know I didn't want that job. <laughs> you know what I mean, I needed to know like that's not for me, right? And 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 if I didn't, I'd always raise that question. You know what I'm saying? I did Uber one because I needed the money, and two I was like, ah, you know what? That's not for me. You know what I mean? I was selling cars. I thought, you know, I could do really good at this. This is a cool job. I'll sell a bunch of fucking cars, and make a shit ton of money. Bullshit. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Never done that again. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Yeah. I contract. I taught freaking. I taught tactical medical. I worked for North American Rescue. You know what I mean? I've done all kinds of shit, and I know I hate them all. You know what I mean? Like the one thing I like the most was the freedom of being a businessman and the challenges it, it comes about. It was trying to continue to stay afloat, 
fucking sucks, but it's fun as shit. You know what I mean? I love it. It's a fucking, it's a chess game, you know? Well, now you own a barbershop. And so, I mean, so you're an entrepreneur in so many different ways and you keep reinventing yourself. And I think that's the beauty of this whole show is that um, your adaptability, you're sending a message of, hey, again, you know, look at me and what I've been able to do and how I've been able to adapt and how I keep evolving, keep learning, keep making mistakes, but it's all okay. You know, yeah, it's all part of the yeah, process. Yeah. No, I think that's if you can't accept your losses and also identify that you're the reason you fucked your own self up. I mean, you're never going to grow. I think all of it in the past five years, I tell people, I think I've grown faster than most people around me because I've accepted all my losses. I've accepted all my faults and I've grown past those and and know like here they come. They're going to come again. And I know there's I'm not the greatest in the world, but I goddamn try to be. But I know there's weaknesses in my game. You know what I mean? I know there's sometimes selfishness in, in what I do. You know, sometimes I want to take that Friday night for me and my wife, and I think it's important. But then I also do feel guilty that I didn't choose that Friday night for the kids. It's this weird balance that I'm always fighting, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with failing. I'm okay. You have to be because once you can accept that you failed, you can start to fucking grow from that point. And I feel like I've done that so much in the past five years. I've learned way more about myself than I ever have in my life. We could Personal probably, accountability, man. It's, it's, it's huge. huge. It's huge. Yeah, but some most people don't want to accept it. They want to accept when they're fucked up. It's like, nah, I'm not. Like, yeah, you are, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We talk about uh, post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury and stuff like this on the show. Um, a lot of guys don't realize that they really need to reach out to help. You know, they need to go find it. They need to recognize <clears throat> that there are other avenues that they can go in getting help. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's just rooted in us as alpha male types. Is it's a form of weakness reaching out for help. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, we're the type that kind of self aid, self aid, self aid. And and this is not a self aid issue. This is you need someone that has a legitimate background to explain why you feel what you feel, why you have these visions, why you're not sleeping, why sleep is fucking up everything else in your life. Why am I drinking? Oh, it's because you're drinking, so you don't have to fucking so you can sleep better. Like it. Someone's going to break it down to you in a way where you finally get it. And when you get it, you can actually move past it. It's that same self-accountability. That doesn't mean self-hate, self-hate, self-hate. It means you need to reach out to someone who's able to fix that. You know what I mean? Because right now, what we're doing is we're putting a freaking Band-Aid over a freaking blood gushing wound yeah. and hoping it stops. And it doesn't, right? We need to get down to the root of it. We need to stop that bleed. And then we can – like this is a problem. Like I've always had a problem. Like there's a million veteran nonprofits out there, and I love them all, and I love their intentions. You know what I mean? But um, – I think the root of it needs to first guys need counseling before they can go out and start doing archery, before they can yeah. start riding horses, before they can start, you know, we want to get them out into the community to, to, to get off their ass and also stay, stay involved. But at the same time, like you'll never get them to, uh, you'll never get them to, to, to transition if they're not fixing the issues that are keep holding them back. Right. Mentally, they need to be fixed. Right. They need to get their traumatic brain injury tests. They need to check their blood work. Cause I believe, I don't know firm believer in blood work, low testosterone based off of um, TBIs is huge and it's causing a lot of depression in men and we don't ever fucking know that or we don't ever research it. Why? Because it's not spoken of. But you know what? We've done tests recently with a buddy of mine, 40 different veterans, 39 had low testosterone levels. I mean, to the point of 200, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how bad it was. And that's just one thing, right? You need to get your, your hormones checked. You need to do your TBI checks and you need to go to counseling. You, you get these three things done. You're fixing some huge, huge things and you'll see some major growth in emotions, 
in freaking body. Like, you know, when you start getting fat, you know how depressing that is? That fucking sucks. And you know, when you have, you yeah. can't control it because you fucking have no testosterone. That fucking sucks worse, dude. Cause you feel like, what the hell happened to me? I was a badass kicking the doors with a fucking six pack. And now I'm a fat ass sitting on the couch, flipping through the channels thinking, why me? Right? Like, but it all stems from the root of blood work, from from post traumatic from post traumatic stress and TBIs, man. And those are the things we need to hit those three, knock those out first, fix that. Yeah. When those are fixed, now go find your fucking mission, dude. Now go fucking you know build houses or whatever the fuck it is. I think too the family and the uh, the family unit and the friend unit too. I, I because I think there's that circle, there's that support unit, you know. So I mean, oh, yeah, you, get, but, you get your health right, but then you also have yeah, to have that supporting element for, for sure. But you know what? You're never ready to have a friend until you get yourself fixed, man. Because you can fuck up your friendships by being the fuck up what we are. Yeah, true. Dude, we're toxic. We're toxic motherfuckers, dude. Yeah. You come from me going overseas. I'm drinking as hell. I'm fighting every motherfucker in this bar because fuck you. I can. We are toxic, and we're toxic to each other. If we all go to the bar every Friday just because this is good for us as veterans, no, it's not. And not if you're not healthy. You need to be healthy first, and then we can start building these relationships that are impactful. That, to me, is the most important thing. Well, how many times we go out at a night, you know, go hang out at a bar, go to a club and say, I'm going to celebrate so-and-so's life, and then we end up reminiscing. And it's, it's okay for like that first hour. Then all of a sudden we go down the rabbit hole of, oh, oh man, bro. why am I here, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I know. I know. And then you're choosing to drive home drunk as fuck. And then, and you know, it's just, it's just this bad cycle of if you're mentally not fit for it, you cannot involve yourself with other veterans because I feel like it's almost worse. You have to really fix yourself first. Then you can get acclimated back into the space of other veterans and have the conversation, the healthy conversation. Yep. Yeah, me and Clint Romeshay were talking, dude, like, deep and it was very healthy cool conversation over beers and it was beautiful it was it was this really interesting space that i've you don't find very often especially guys have really seen it bad and it was cool and i I thought like man these are we're two guys who are healthy enough to have this conversation without any backlash later happening of this you know it was cool and not to go too far down the mental health path but i mean i know for myself personally i had to basically shop for some, you know, therapists to be able to talk about certain things. Cause I had one woman go, I don't know that I can handle what you're talking to me about. And yeah. I was like, ah, I'm sorry, ma'am. I know. And, that, and that's true. There's, there's only, there's, there's some out there that they're not ready. I've had, I've had the same, I've had one that not ready. And I was like, I'm out. You've also pointed out something else that's very important is there is no cookie cutter answer to this issue. And, and, and I, I've been trying to push that a little bit with like some of my guys that are searching for the help. And I, I think that you've done a great job of because you've used your platform to be able to showcase, hey, here are the positive ways that we can do this and we can work together. But you got to take accountability of yourself first. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think agree. I think the, the you know, it's one of the biggest things you can do you know, in this avenue. And what's important is not you know, you're not going to find the right counselor on day one. You might not find the right answer on day one, but being proactive about it is therapy in and of itself. Just taking a step to address the problem and go and see somebody that's helpful in and of itself. And I think that, uh, you know, you're hundred percent right. You got to go and do it. You want to go out to the range, you know, and fire a thousand rounds through your M4 and then, you know, toss it back in the, in the closet and say, yeah, it's, it's good. Cause it's always been good. And it's a tough gun. You, you take it to the armor, you know, like your mind is a weapon the same way you need to get in there and, you know, take it to the armor, do the systems checks, make yeah. sure it's yeah. going good. You know, like at a minimum, like we need to be there where that's just acceptable SOP for, for veterans. So just, you go, you talk to mental health because they're the people who know, not because they're going to have an answer because they're going to solve all your life's problems. But 
they need to check that system. So I think that may be another cool avenue if you guys ever do get to it, you get more control. And again, it's going to take a lot of people following your your show. Is if you you continue to give messages, you know, you find a way through um, your platform and through these shows or something where there's something you're giving back. You know what I mean? In some way, yeah. I think that's a you know that'll you know, make it, it more of you. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know. Man, there's so many ideas I had for this first season, but the lack of power because you you really in the television world have no power unless it's a hit. Yeah. And and right now it's not a hit. It's it's doing good. It's not great. Will we have a second season? We still don't know. You know what I mean? If this was a hit, if we're having three million viewers, then the next season is guaranteed, and I'm gonna be like, okay, cool. I would like a little bit more control because I would like to show this, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, the, the idea for me is always giving back. It's always doing charitable events. It's always doing, you know, kid anything to do with helping kids, helping whatever the case it is. But um, I would love to do that more. I just need, you know, the show hopefully gets the opportunity to do that. So I can continue to expand it. So tell everybody who's listening then how to learn more about it. You already said that it's on the History Channel. It's Brothers in yeah. Arms. So what? Brothers in Arms on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. Yeah. Okay. What time typically? It's uh, 10 Eastern, uh, 9, 9 Central um, in my house in Utah, which is uh, is, is uh, mountain time. It's usually around 8, 8 p.m. Um, it's on the History Channel. It's called Brothers in Arms. Um, it's me and a, and a few buddies that we do military restorations of old guns and weapons, and uh, we have some fun doing it. You see a little bit of my personal life as well involved in it. We're able to do a little bit of somatics as well. We have some fun with it. So um, I think it's a fun show. I think it's I think it's a very entertaining show, and I hope you guys uh, give it a chance, man. If you give it a chance, I believe you're going to fall in love with it, man. Yeah, Brothers in Arms on the History Channel. Also, uh, you've got your book. We mentioned it just for a short little bit, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Light the Fuse. Yeah, Light the Fuse. Well, it's really, you know, everything we talked about, man, it's about my life. Uh, You know, having this platform, I thought it doesn't make sense for you not to put out how I was able to transition and the mistakes I've made during my transition. And so that's really the goal of the book was to tell a lot of my personal stories and mistakes made of mental, uh, of like bad mindsets, you know what I mean? Getting out of the military, expecting, you know, expecting the handout, expecting the handshake and the thank you for your service instead of just continue on the mission and, and continue on to provide for the family. You know, there's moments in my life where I, I wasn't humble. There's moments in my life I expected the world to, to provide for me because of what I've done for my country. You know what I mean? And things like that. And it's not just that. It's being being a father, things that happen in the prison, things I've learned about myself, whether it's fear, whether it's transition, whether it's humility, whether it's death. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's just about acceptance and accepting the fact that life isn't going to go your way. Plain and simple. And when you can accept that, you can move forward. You know what I mean? And, and that's a big one. You know, us in the military, we say Murphy's always on the manifest. What can go wrong will go wrong, right? What can go wrong will go wrong. And, and thinking that is – you might think you have the best marriage in the world and all of a sudden you come home and that's not so, not the case, you know? And there's things in our life that we won't be able to accept. We, I mean, we have to be able to accept that whether you do everything right, shit still sometimes hits the fan. And until we can accept that, it's hard to grow past that, you know what I mean? And and, and you can grow angry at the world or you can just accept it and move on. And, and I think there's big parts in the book that talk about all this and it's all about my life. It's not like a biography because I don't feel like I'm done yet. I feel like I'm still working on that story. But this is a short, honest assessment of my life, the things that I've, I've, I've fucked up and the things I did right. And, and in the same sense, I threw some poetry in there. I threw some of my blogs. And these are just on-the-spot moments of emotion 
I wrote, I put them in there to show the rawness of that, what I was feeling at the time and why. And so I just wanted to just show the, you know, be able to have a book out there for people to see, like, this is me, man, as raw as it is. And, 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 and shit is not written fucking, I'm not this goddamn fucking amazing writer. I'm just me, dude. Telling you that is like, as if you read it, it's just like me speaking it right to your fucking face. Yeah, good stuff, and you can actually find it on Amazon, right? Is it Barnes yeah. and Noble and uh, all the uh, normal places? Amazon, it's Amazon now, and then we're working on getting the Barnes and Noble contract here soon. Okay, yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, Vince, I really appreciate you coming on, man. We could probably talk like another two hours yeah. on this whole thing for sure. <laughs> You've got such a, a really, you know, vast array history and stuff of your background and the things that you've done, like you said, that's outlined inside the book. But I mean, there's so many different aspects here that we can touch on. But I think the the running theme is really about um, staying rooted, follow your dreams. Um, I think to me are, are the main things that have stuck out to me, and be you know, he, uh, have some humility along the way. Uh, that's that's the big thing. So uh, vote again, for Vinny Rock twenty twenty. <laughs> Vinny Rock twenty twenty Salt Lake or is it uh, Cali? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. Is it we going for presidency? Is that what it is? The vice president, I guess. United States of America. Oh, you just going straight for the throat, but it's us. Let's go. If the Rock is listening, see right there, you go. We got the Rock and Rocco. Sounds like a pretty good a ticket right there. I think it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. It's Appreciate it, man. Bomb. Thanks, guys. Take care.